And, uh, man, Michigan spring sprung this week. I know there's some other stuff coming tomorrow and all that stuff, but we don't talk about that. We don't swear in church. We don't say the S word. And so um, <laughs> some of you guys got that. Some of you guys didn't. Um, but the weather got real nice this week, and uh, in spring, when we do, we, we get down the kids' bikes that have been hanging up in the garage, and we dust them off, and uh, we, we went for a family bike ride uh, through the neighborhood on Friday night, and it reminded me of a childhood memory of stupid, all right? So go with me back, way back, all right? So a lot of you guys don't realize, from the age of 6 to 18, I grew up just about a minute and a half down the road from this building crazy. Did not know God, didn't have a personal relationship with him. Uh, I grew up in Shenandoah uh, subdivision here off of Old 23. And uh, back in that day, I was probably about eight, nine years old. Uh, we lived a couple houses down from a cul-de-sac, all right? And uh, one of my good friends at that time, his name was JC, him and his older brother, Josh, they, uh, they built this ramp this bike ramp in the middle of the cul-de-sac, all right? And this wasn't a fancy ramp. It wasn't uh, inspected at all. It wasn't safe. It was like a piece of plywood with some cinder blocks or some bricks under it. You know, all right, go with me, right? Like, let's just get creative and get a little bit of lift here, right? So, so they invite me down, and I got my little bike, and we're riding over this thing. We're getting brave enough to go over it and land and all that. And as, as time goes on, when you got a bunch of boys, right, that we're, we're, we're trying to compete, right? We're trying to one-up each other. We're trying to outdo, oh, look what I did. Look what I did in the air, all this kind of stuff. And, and so I'm starting to get more brave and more uh, full of faith, so to speak. And uh, I have this great idea. And then, and then stupid drops in my head. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that in your own life where, like, boom, something happened. The stupid bone came out, right? And so I'm like, watch this. I say, hey, guys, hey, guys, watch this. And so I start pedaling really fast at the ramp, and they're kind of like, oh, man, what's going to happen here, right? And as I get to the ramp, I let go of my handlebars, all right? Just let go. Now, that's not dangerous. That's stupid. All right, everybody say stupid. That's stupid. But, but what's more stupid is as I'm coming down off this jump and my front tire's about to hit, hit the ground and the pavement, I still don't grab the handlebars, and so, as you can imagine this setting, right? And I fly over my handlebars, face plant and skid all across the, the, the you know, a cul-de-sac, the pavement, the asphalt, the rocks, all that. And I start crying for my mommy, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm hurting. They walk me all the way back, and I'm like blood. And I'm like, what happened? What the heck happened? And everyone say stupid. That, that was stupid, right? We all... The crazy thing is I think we all can relate to stupid moments, to moments where we fail, moments where we miss it, <laughs> where we mess up, right? And um, I, I think uh, whether it's your, from your childhood, uh, maybe, maybe you had that season in college where it's like, whoa, I, let me tell you some stupid stories, right? Or in adulthood or parenting fails or you name it, we all miss the mark, right? We all do stupid things, and, and this even creeps into our relationship with God in our pursuit of God and trying to adhere to his word and trying to follow his ways and live our life in, in, in accordance to his word, right? We all miss the mark. We all mess up. And we see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, right? In that scripture, God's word says, for everyone, ever say everyone, for everyone sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That means all have sinned. Everybody messes up. You could say it this way according to the series. All have done stupid things. All have missed God's mark. Sin is a scary word. It just means missing God's mark. We can never attain it in our own ability. And the crazy thing about this is even though we've done some stupid things in our life, this doesn't qualify us from God's love, 
from God's mercy, from God's acceptance, and from God's goodness in our life, right? He can still use us, and he can still do great things in and through us, right? I like to put it this way. God loves us despite our stupid, amen? God loves you and I despite the stupid things we've done, the stupid things we've seen, the stupid things we've thought, the stupid things we've said. Now, side note, in this series, we are not calling any one person or anybody stupid, okay? Hear my heart. We do stupid things. Stupid is what we do. Stupid is not who we are, amen? God didn't create anybody. God didn't create stupid. God doesn't call you stupid. He doesn't speak that. Man speaks that over people. But God sees us through the lens of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of acceptance. All right? So just, just want to clear that up on the week one of this series. We're going to be in it for the next two weeks. No one's being called stupid here. We do stupid things. Our actions are stupid, but we are not stupid. And God isn't intimidated. God isn't scared. And God isn't afraid of our stupid. Amen? He'll go to great lengths to take us out of stupid places and put us back on the right path. Amen? That's the God we serve. And so in this series, I'm really excited. We're going to take a deeper look into some characters from the Bible that did some stupid, all right? And we're going to look to their example and learn from their example. And you're going to find out real quickly, a lot of times when we do this, we're going to learn what not to do, amen? (laughs) What not to do, how not to do something, right? And then we're also going to learn, even when we mess up, even when we miss the mark, even when we blow it, what do we do to get out of that place? I believe God's going to set some of us free today. I believe God's going to lift our confidence and our hope in him today. I believe somebody's going to get healed of of something that happened years ago. I, I believe that God is going to work and do miracles in our midst this morning as we open up his word. And so uh, here's the deal. We all do stupid, but it's not what we do. It's how we respond to the stupid in our life that really makes a huge difference, which is why the title of my message this morning is this, How to Respond to Stupid. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say stupid. Don't call your neighbor stupid. Come on. How to Respond to Stupid, all right? So let's open up. Uh, would you join me as we pray just to kind of open up our hearts and our minds this morning to get ready for God to speak and move through his word. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you, Father, for your presence here with us. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit that that leads us and guides us in your word, Lord God, that shows us things to come, that brings things to remembrance, that heals and comforts and exhorts and strengthens us. Father, we thank you that despite our stupid, you still love us. You still have a plan for our lives. And you still want to use us in great and mighty ways. And so, Father, as we look to our our character today, we're going to look at David. As we look to his example this morning, Father God, may we come alive under the truth of your word, Father God, and get victory and freedom from the stupid in our lives. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said, amen. So I kind of gave you a spoiler there. I forgot to tell you who we're talking about today. We're going to talk and look at the character of David. And we're going to spend our time mostly in two chapters of the Bible this morning. The first one is going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you brought your Bibles or you turned your Bibles on, 2 Samuel 11 is where we're going to go first. Then we're going to flip over to Psalm 51 because we're going to look at some responses here. But in case you're not familiar with David, maybe you're not down with like who is David, which David are we talking about? There's a lot of Davids, right? Uh, It's a common name. David, the David we're looking at is the King David of the Bible. And so he was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. He was the shepherd boy. He helped take care of dad's sheep, right? And uh, when he was young, about 10 to 12, biblical scholars say, 
the prophet Samuel came to his family and came to David and anointed him as the next future king of Israel. Now, there's a guy named Saul who was actually king in that season, right? And David actually became King Saul's armor bearer and began to serve him. Now, Saul got jealous, and he began to get more jealous. Saul's uh, experience when David went out on the battlefield and killed the giant Philistine named Goliath. A lot of you guys are familiar with David and Goliath, right? This is the same David we're talking about. And so eventually, David does become king of Israel after Saul passes away and loses power. And David's known for a lot of different things. He's a psalmist. He's a songwriter. He wrote most of the psalms that we have in, in our biblical uh, account. He also was known to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which back in then symbolizes God's little presence that he was in the Ark, and he brought it back to Jerusalem where it belonged. And so that's the David we're talking about today. And this David, as we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, he's been ruling as king of Israel for many years. So he's been walking in his calling. He's been walking in his anointing. He's been walking in his purpose. And then this happens, all right? Let's take a look at what happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. Just as a disclaimer, I might pause and stop verse after verse, and we might go off on some rabbit trails here. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to get to us this morning, amen? But we're going to read and get, get the whole context of it. And so Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So a scripture that we normally just pass on by and keep going in the story, but really important detail here. It said it was the time of spring. It was time of battle. This was the time when kings were supposed to be out on the battlefield with their troops, kicking butt and taking names for their kingdom, right? Did you notice what it said? What did David do? He stayed home. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And man, as I, as I read this, I, I'm just always challenged in a good way. Like, hey, newsflash, you and I, we're more susceptible to doing stupid things in our life when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? When we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're more susceptible to the temptation to do something stupid, right? You guys, we've been there before. Maybe you're at home all alone by yourself. When the rest of the family's out doing something, you should be with them, but you're not. Stupid tries to creep and knock on that door, right? Maybe you stay up later than everybody else at night, and you're mindlessly scrolling on the internet and social media, and you're more susceptible to look at something stupid, right? Maybe you're more aware of your needs in a season than your uh, people around or your family's needs, right? You become more prideful, selfish. How many of you guys know that's where stupid knocks? When we're not doing what we're called or what we're supposed to be doing, we can get into stupid situations. Let's move on. 2 Samuel eleven two through 3. It says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from the bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, and you're not really supposed to be up on the roof in the middle of the night being a peeping Tom through people's windows, right? Right? He, he was stupid, right? Like, he's up there, and, and you saw, and, and, and yes, I, I love God's sense of humor. He saw a woman named Bathsheba, and she was taking a bath. It could have been Jane or, you know, Linda, but it was, it was Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know. I just find that comical. Um, sorry. And so he's doing something he shouldn't, and it goes on. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 4 through 5 says, Then David sent his messengers 
And he took her, and he came, she came to him, and he lay with her, and she was cleansed from her purity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now this is where we insert, help me out, David, that was stupid. All right, not only did he see her, and he should have not done that, but yeah, he did some stuff that he shouldn't have, and he did stupid in his life, right? Another man's woman. And David makes a really bad decision with really extreme consequences. And, and I, I say this wholeheartedly, uh, th- that this is a message just for myself, just as much as for anybody else. We're all on a journey here, amen? And no one's perfect here. But my goodness, this decision had ramifications that really shook David's life. And, and, and maybe you can feel uh, like you're a David in a situation. Maybe you got something on your heart or something in your life right now where you have a decision that you deeply regret. You're, you're, you like feel so awful about it. Maybe you said something that has been hurtful and has strained a, a relationship that you have for, for years and it hasn't been mended or healed. Maybe, maybe you become and turn to different things to numb pain in your life. You become a, addicted to substances or experiences that help take your mind off the real pain of life and, and you've made some stupid decisions. Let's just be real. Oftentimes when we mess up, our sin nature tries to cover it up. And we would all agree that what we just read right now, that was stupid. But what David begins to do after the stupid act becomes even more stupid. Right? Take a look at this. David, and for, ta- for time's sake, we're not going to read through the whole rest of the chapter. But if you're curious about this, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're at. Here's how it goes. David finds this so true in his own situation that, that ring- things really get out of hand pretty quick. So this happens, he, he does something with somebody else's wife, and then he says, all right, where's Uriah, where's his husband? Bring him back in. And so he calls him off the battlefield, and he, said, he tries to get him to go be with his wife, Bathsheba, so that she, she would think and he would think that, hey, maybe that happened because, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? But that doesn't work. He's so faithful, he's so loyal, Uriah sleeps at the gate. He's like, I'm not going to go do that and, and, and have that because my men are out there shedding blood and kicking battle. What they were doing, what they were supposed to be doing right? So David's like, okay, that plan didn't work. So then he tries to cover it up even more. So he says, send him back to the battlefield. And he tells the commander of the army, put him in the hottest of the battle on the front lines. And when he gets out there, retreats. And so that he'd be died. And that's what happens. And Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, is killed. And then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Someone say stupid. Wow. And it says in the very last verse of 2 Samuel 11, chapter 11, It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We're probably all thinking this too, right? The thing that David did was stupid. And I don't think there's anybody that's doubting that. He did something wrong. He didn't uh, chase God's best in that situation of his life. But man, how many of us can relate to this season and this scenario. Maybe not exactly the same details, but the same magnitude where we miss it. Here's what I want to encourage you today. Just because maybe you feel like the Lord's displeased with you doesn't mean God's done with you yet. Just because the Lord is displeased does not mean he's done. He's not throwing you on the scrap heap. You're not old yesterday's news. You're not immovable. You're not irreplaceable. Come on, God loves you with an everlasting love And he wants you to be smack dab in the middle of his will. But how many of you guys know we're not perfect? So just because you made a mistake in your life doesn't make you a mistake. Okay? 
Just because you did something stupid doesn't mean that there's no more hope for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. A God of second, third, a million chances as we repent and turn to him out of a pure heart. God wants us to get it. He's not out to get us. He wants us to understand his goodness and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness and walk in who we are created to be. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. Now, we get all excited about that, but just realize there are consequences for our stupid in our life even though God can help take away some of that and the memory of that, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says it real plainly. For the wages of sin is what? Death. You know what sin pays out on Fridays for payday? Death. You may not physically die. You might spiritually be separated from God. You might be drying up on the vine. You may feel like a million miles away. Death. Now, in David's case, as we read on, the child that Heman Bathsheba had out of wedlock, it actually dies. And David prayed that he would live. And that's tough. And he's grieving and he's, he's emotional about that. And he, that could have been the end. That could have been like David was awesome until this point in his ministry and life. And then boom, this thing crushed him and there was no more hope for him. A sad ending, the end. But don't put a period where God puts a comma. Come on, somebody. In your life, in your situation, don't you put a period and end the story early when God says, but I'm not done writing yet. I'm not, there's a new chapter. There's new mercy. There's new grace. There's a second chance. There's freshness and fullness of life still on the other end of our stupid or stupids if we've made multiple decisions that have not aligned with God's word. The key is it is our response to the stupid that determines where we go in life. And we're gonna, do, we're gonna take a look at this real quickly. I wanna show this to you. We're gonna shift gears. We're gonna head on over to Psalm chapter 51. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want you to go there, turn those on. And I wanna encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, hey, bring a Bible to church. It's a great place to bring a Bible, all right? They don't make fun of you for bringing it. I don't care if it's like bedazzled and it's got rhinestones on it or you've got like snakeskin covers or, you know, Lisa Frank things. Or I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't care what it looks like. It's the word of God. It's living, it's active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? The word of God is the only thing that does not come back empty-handed or void in your life. Bring the word. Amen? Psalm 51. We're going to learn, and I want to share just real quickly, five things of how to respond to stupid in our life based on David's example. Psalm 51 is powerful because in the midst of what David is going through and his, his mistake with Bathsheba, he writes this song, this psalm. He pens his heart out on paper so that we now have it and we see how he has this interaction, this, this relationship, this conversation with God and how God moves him from the lowest of lows and gets him back on track. And so we're going to look at this in Psalm 51. The first thing of how to respond to stupid, number one, if you're taking notes, is number one, turn to God. Turn to God. David starts his psalm off with this, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. When we blow it, when we mess up big time, we should go to God first. We should go to the source, the one that's full of mercy, the one that's full of loving kindness. We serve a God, David said, the God of mercy. He knew that God was merciful. He knew he could give him a second chance even when he didn't deserve it. He can give him a fresh slate even though he messed up royally. No pun intended because he was a king, right? He blew it. 
And, and, and David knew this, but he knew his God. He had a relationship when he was a shepherd boy and writing songs and when he was slinging that stone at that giant that was taunting him. He, he had a relationship with God, and he knew his father really well that, hey, my God doesn't just cast me off and say, you're done. My God is not done working yet. Even in my own life, in my lowest of lows, my God can be a God of mercy. In your lowest of lows, God can be a God of mercy to you. And so, so many times our fleshy response to stupid is to run from God, right? Uh-oh, I did something wrong. Let's get out of here. Let's pretend like God doesn't exist. I see this happen so many times, even amongst sheep and Christians. Oh, man, I messed up. I can't go to church this Sunday. Nope. Are we going to live today? No. Uh, you don't know what I said to my wife this week. We disqualify ourselves from coming to church based on our behavior. How many of you guys know if you're broken, if you're in sin, if you're busted, disgusted, church is the best place for you because that's where God's presence dwells. Come on, somebody. You got to turn to God sometimes, but we try to run and say, hey, I'll, I'll wait till I clean my life up first and then I'll come to church. That's not how it works. He came for the sick, not for the well. Amen? He wants to clean you up, dust you off, and put you back on the right place, right where you're at. No perfect people out here. We say this is part of our culture. We're not, none of us are perfect, and God doesn't put perfection on us, amen? And so we go the opposite direction. We stay away from church. We try to hide it. We try to ignore the sin. We try to stuff it down deep and pray that it, no one would ever find out, and it never happens. And maybe you're here today, and you're struggling with some sin in your life. I want to encourage you. Change your course today. Let today be a course change. Start running towards God, not away from him. See him as a God of mercy, not a God of judgment, and he's going to hit you over the head with a baseball bat because of what you've done. But a God and a father who has his arms wide open, saying, come on, son, come on, daughter, come on home. I love you. Let me clean you up. Let me clean you up. Let me cleanse you. Let me purify you. If you've been disqualifying your own self from God, from a relationship with God, from church, all of that, today let God have the final word on that, not the enemy. Don't take yourself out of a race that God still wants you to run. Amen? And if you've been running in the wrong direction, today is the day to say, you know what? I'm going to start running in the right direction. And I might feel ugly, and I might feel uh, impure, I might feel unworthy. You'll feel those things. Those are honest emotions that God has given us. But know that God doesn't see you like you're feeling. God is saying, come on, child, come on home. I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to dust you off. I'm going to put you on the solid rock. My son, his name is Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. The God who forgives, the God who saves, and the God who loves us. Amen? And so we turn to God. That's number one. That's the way we respond to stupid. Number two, we see David confess it. Confess your stupid. Confess your sin. David goes on in verses 2 through 4 in Psalm 51. He says this, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned, God, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David gets real about his stupid. And one of the most life-giving, tough things you can do when you're in a rough season with God or there's some sin pattern in your life or you, you made a big oopsie or a mess up is to just get real about what you did. To really begin to see it how God sees it, that you missed the mark, that you did do something stupid, that it was wrong, that it was evil in his sight. Call it what it is. David said, I'm not going to be a, a wimp. I'm not going to be a sissy. God, I sinned against you and you alone. And he calls it what it is. 
and he gets it out there on the floor, and he gets it there out on the table so that God can go to work on that thing. But if we conceal it, and we hide it, and we don't give it, God can't do much work in that. Because that's pride, and that's selfishness, that's us trying to atone for our own sin, or make up excuses for our own sin. How many of you guys know we can't atone for our own sin? That's what last weekend and last week was all about. Come on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ put the nail in the coffin on Satan and death. Come on, somebody. And now sin has been erased because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so get real about it. Confess your sin to God, and sometimes you need to confess it to somebody else. There's healing and freedom and forgiveness when we do what the Word says. We see it all over the place. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If you confess your sin... God is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we confess it to God, check about confessing it to others. James 5, 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when we're brave enough to say, I'm going to confess my stupid, that's when God can begin to work on that thing. When we get enough courage to say, God, I missed it, I blew it, I made the wrong decision, and, I'm, and, and, and I call it what it is, I'm not, oh, it was because I didn't get enough sleep, and, and I didn't, no, you say, you know what, I did something wrong. And there might have been a lot of other factors that went behind of why I did what I did, but at the end of the day, when you look at it, sin is sin. And, it, and it, it miss, it, we missed the mark. And God desperately wants us to be on track with him, and he wants to help us there. And so maybe you're here today, and You've been keeping that deep, dark secret, that sin, bottled up. And you're like, ah, man, I've been fooling everybody because I'm happy here at church. But that thing has been eating you alive from the inside out, spiritually. You've been disconnected from God. The enemy's been speaking shame, guilt, and condemnation in your ear constantly. And the thing that you can punch the enemy in the face with the most would be simply to confess that sin. Because when you confess your sin, it loses its power in your life. Unconfessed sin, still had, the enemy still has a grip and a hold on you. But when you confess sin, it begins to lose its grip and its power in your life. And then God can come in and begin to do a work and a miracle in your life. Amen? David screwed up big time, but he confessed it. If you've screwed up big time or small time, if you just feel something, ugh, that yuck in your heart about some situation confess it and give it to him. If you need to tell somebody else to let it lose that power, you do that too because the Bible is very clear. That is where victory and healing happens. Everyone say confess it. Awesome. It's powerful. Number three, the three, third thing we can do to respond to stupid is repent. Everybody say repent. David next acknowledges that there's a change of heart and direction in his life. In Psalm 51, 6, he says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you make me to know wisdom. So David repents. What does repent mean? That's a big Christianese word. Repent means to have a change of heart. It means to literally go the opposite direction. It would be like 180 degree turn. That's repentance. What happens to a lot of, especially as believers, when we sin and we miss the mark, we experience remorse, but we don't ever walk on the journey, the hard path to repentance. Remorse is feeling sorry or sad about what you did. Repentance is actually allowing God to change your heart and go the other direction. And I've experienced the, uh, the huge difference in my own life in different areas and different seasons in my life where I've been, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And, and he's merciful and graceful every time. But there's a time when he comes, he says, quit being sorry and change. Quit, quit saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and going back to the same addiction, going back to the same vice. Instead, turn in the power of Christ and go the other direction. Don't do that again. Repentance is powerful. Remorse, right, it gets us to that area where we feel bad about it. But if we only stop at remorse, we'll never experience the life-changing power of God in our life in those areas. And so it's time to repent. David repented, right? For some of us, we need to stop saying sorry and just allow God to touch our hearts and change us and begin to walk in the newness that we have in him. And maybe you're not struggling. uh, If you're struggling with stupid today, maybe today is the day you say, you know what, God? I'm turning. I'm, 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 going another, I'm going another direction. Obviously, we talked about point one, towards God, but towards the right thing, not the wrong thing. Amen? The fourth way to respond to stupid is this. Number four, receive strength. You guys all doing good? This is heavy stuff. This is powerful, but man, we've all got so much stupid in our life. We, this isn't a game. We, we, we can't be playing games, man. God wants us to walk in his very best for our lives, and he's given us the answer in his word. Through David's example, of how to get this junk out of our heart and our lives. Number four way to respond to stupid is receive strength. Psalm 51.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. David cries out from his heart of hearts. He says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, wash me clean. Help give me your strength to get through this tough situation. Help me get past the stupid in my life and the stupid decisions I made and help me move forward. Cleanse me. Here's what I've learned in my short time on earth here and my short, short time following Jesus Christ is this. It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart with God. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Let God do a heart work in you and receive his strength. When God's allowed to work in our hearts, it literally changes our life. When he only works in our minds and we don't let him in deep enough, we'll have behavior modification, but not heart transformation. So what that means is you'll change your behavior for a season of your life and be good again, but you'll go right back to that same thing if you haven't repented and if your heart hasn't been touched in that area. You just change your behavior to make everybody look like you change, but you don't actually change. I don't know about you guys. I, I, want, I want heart transformation. Every single ounce of this organ called my heart, I want it to beat and bleed for God. Amen? I want it to honor God with everything I've got. And this is hard to do. Amen? Because we're fallen. We're man. We're sinful. But when we allow God to get into our heart of hearts, and we connect with him, we allow him to do heart surgery on us and get the root of the sin, get the root of the vice, get the root of the addiction, and he begins to uproot that, that will change your life. Amen? I believe God wants that for so many of us in different areas. I believe today someone's going to rise up and say, God, touch my heart. Create in me a clean heart and give me a steadfast spirit. What does that mean? A strong spirit an immovable, unshakable spirit. How many of you guys know you cannot change after you're stupid without God's help? You're going to go right back to it like a dog goes back to vomit. It says in Proverbs, right? That's gross, but it does, right? We'll go right back to our stupid. We'll go right back to that sin if we don't have a strong spirit about us. Let God fill you with his Holy Spirit, with his empowerment spirit, amen, so that you can say no to the flesh and walk in the spirit of God, amen? The last thing. 
If you've made our journey through all of this, it's kind of a progression. Number five is really simple, but it's super powerful, and it's this. The, the fifth way to move past stupid in our lives is simply, number five, move forward. All right? After all of that, to lay there and be like, oh, God, I confess my sin, and I turn to you, and I got a strong spirit, but I don't know. I'm just going to do it again. Move forward. David begins to move forward and starts to have victory and actually help others in his life. Check this out, Psalm 51, 12 through 15. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing out loud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David chooses to rise up and to move forward with God. He says, hey, God, return to me that joy of my salvation. Man, what would that look like for you in your life? Do you remember that moment, that day, that season where God actually became real to you? He wasn't just this religious thing, but like you had a personal relationship with him. And it was all new and it was all fresh and it was all exciting. You're curious. The joy of your salvation, return unto me. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for years and you've done stupid, you can have the freshness like you just got saved. The joy of your salvation, right? What would it look like to not let guilt or shame control your decisions in your every move? The fear of man. What are they going to think? What are they not going to think? What, what is she going to think? What is he going to think? What, uh, how's that? That's no life to live. That's not freedom. That's bondage within the suit of Christianity. Jesus came to set all of us free and be completely free, not just parts of us to be free. So he wants all of us. What, what would it look like to just begin to start praising God even when the circumstances are still jacked up and the consequences from our sin are still messed up, but begin to lift hands and just begin to praise God and say, God, you are faithful and you are worthy and you are holy. I get so moved like when I hear these stories of... Um, people incarcerated, growing in the relationship with the Lord. That's a pretty low, low place. No freedom for life. But in the midst of their circumstances, they begin to follow God and begin to lift hands and praise. Man, Father, may we never be so bound by the enemy that we can't lift a hand to praise. Because no matter what you're going through or no matter where you find yourself, you've still got a reason to praise, amen? There's still a reason. There's something that you can praise God about. And praise breaks the chains. Praise breaks the shackles. Praise breaks the enemy and his grip on you. And so, brother or sister, move forward today. Move forward today. Make a decision. Sometimes the hardest thing to do after all of this is simply to forgive yourself. I believe some of you guys need to do that this morning and say, God, you love me and you've forgiven me and I've confessed it to you and I've turned to you and I've repented and I'm receiving your strength and your cleansing and now I'm gonna move forward in the power of your spirit not to be controlled by that circumstance or that situation, that thing you did, that thing somebody else did to you, that thing you said or somebody else said to you, 
that jacked up, messed up, pit of hell situation. We live on an earth with a curse. Aren't you thankful that Jesus came to break that curse? Come on, somebody. We are not defeated. We are overcomers in him. Come on, we can move forward in faith and in confidence in whose we are. We're not stupid. We might have done a stupid thing, but daughter of the Most High God, child of the Most High God, fella, man of the Most High God, you are not stupid. You are sacred. You are set apart. You are holy unto God for a purpose none other that he has created you for. And so the enemy does love to, would love to do nothing more to keep a big church full of people that are shook up in their faith and, and, and shipwrecked in their faith or struggling with sin or whatever. Because if he can't get you to renounce Jesus, he'll just jack up your life with Jesus. I'll just confuse them and distract them with all these different worldly things. It's time to bust free from some of that. Amen. How do we respond to stupid? Well, we turn to God. We confess it. We call it what it is. We get real about it. We repent. We turn. We have a heart change, and we we go the other way. But we also are humble enough to know that we can't do this in our own strength. So before we receive strength, we allow God to give us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. And number five, from that place of victory, we rise up, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he has done. And we begin to walk that path of victory and we move forward in life free from all the sin and stupid in our life. That is God's will. That is God's plan. And if David did it, so can you. I'll end with this. I'm always puzzled yet so encouraged of the legacy and what God said about David. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And I'm always like, say what? God, do you remember what David did with Bathsheba? Was that all of your will? And he said, no, you didn't read that right, son. I didn't say I found a man who's perfect, who would never sin, who would never script. No, that's not what the scripture says. I found a man after my own heart. We're all going to trip. We're all going to hit that jump with no hands on the handlebars and go in life, metaphorically speaking, at some points. But if our heart is right towards God and we respond in the right way, there's still hope for us. He found a man after his own heart, not a man who was perfect. That set me free in so many areas of my life, and it's still setting me free today. Wasn't what David did. It was who he was and his heart connected to God. So to this morning, man, I don't think I have to talk anymore. I believe in a room this size, there's something burning on our hearts this morning that we need to take to God. And I'm going to pray for us, and I'm actually going to, for the next few minutes, I'm going to let Jason just kind of minister here. And if you, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you need to pray and sit, if you need to move around, if you want to come up to the altar here. I remember some times in college when I first got saved and finally figured out that Jesus is Lord of my life. Coming up front, there's just something about getting out of my comfort zone and getting away from the people next to me and just getting on my face and, and repenting and, and saying, Lord, heal me, forgive me. This will be your time for the next few minutes, but I believe that God is about to set some people free in this room this morning. I believe his power and his presence is too great to just walk out of here and be like, good sermon, let's go. What's, is it raining yet? Right, like, we came here for a power and presence of God, not for church service. We came here to experience God. Did we? Did we come here to experience God? 
Where two or more are gathered, he's here. So go after him this morning. Receive what you need to receive. Maybe you're like, well, there's nothing really big on my heart. Then pray the prayer that David prayed in, in Psalm 139. Lord, search me, try me, know me, see if there be any wicked way within me. Well, I'm good. Well, I actually I treated my wife like crap last week. Yep. And uh, I said some really bad stuff to my kids. All of a sudden, you start praying bull pairs like that. And it's like, hey, just get that out. The little stuff, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine a lot of times. Sometimes it's not this big like, oh, I, I did something horrible like David. No, sometimes it's the little stuff all mudded up over time that junk up our relationship pipe with God. Let him clear it today, amen? Let him loose you from that. Let's pray and then we'll respond to God. Father, we love you so much. We just thank you. We thank you that you're a God of mercy. Thank you that you are a God of love and, and forgiveness. And Lord, you love us despite our stupid and our mistakes. It's hard to fathom that a God could still love us after some of the things we've done or experienced or seen or heard. But Lord, like we know and like we're continuing to learn to know, you're not afraid of our mess. And only through your son, Jesus, can you turn a mess into a masterpiece. Lord, may our hearts be burdened this morning to take whatever it is to you, to confess it, to repent from it, to receive strength. And I pray for just a freshness and a newness this morning, a lightness about us, Father God, as we cast our care, as we cast our sins, as we put the stupid before you and allow you to erase it and wipe us clean. Father, we love you. We praise you, and we ask now for your power and your presence to move in our midst as we come to you from our heart of hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take a few moments just to respond today.